Even when you try to maintain a healthy diet, it can be tough to get all of the nutrients you need for long-term health. Care of makes it super easy and even fun to figure out what vitamins and supplements are best for your diet and lifestyle. Go to takecareof.com and take a short quiz to get your personalized vitamin recommendation. Use offer code AMR at checkout for 50% off your first month of vitamins. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com mother. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah in Portland. And this is Dimity in Denver. We are fresh off round two of travel in as many weeks, right, SBS? Yes, it was quite a whirlwind. I've spent quite a lot of time in the Houston airport uh, (laughs) after red eyes and late at night. And uh, yes, we... We went to Memphis and then road trip to Little Rock. Thank you for driving. I we we left Little uh, Memphis at like six forty in the morning, so I slept a little bit of the ways. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And then went to Little Rock to speak, and then um, and be at the expo. And oh, my heart just breaks for the people in the Little Rock Marathon. The the race, yet another marathon, getting thwarted by the weather, and it got called partway through the race. It got got canceled partway through the race because of not just rain and wind and dropping temperatures and hail, but they also had um, snow thunder and snow lightning and just things that sound mighty apocalyptic to me. Yeah. Well, and that's the second time the Southeast has been hit with that in quick, you know, St. Jude's in December. And now the Memphis, I mean, not Memphis, um, Little Rock. But I'm curious because it seems like people finished. Do you know exactly how it all shook out or are you as unclear on it as I am? Yeah, I'm unclear as well because also because, you know, so Heather, Mother Runner Heather was the person who brought us to Little Rock to speak at a health and fitness um, symposium that was taking place at the Capitol Hotel across the street from where the expo was. And so it was Heather's first marathon. Woohoo! And yes. and the race was called when she was about, about mile 17 or 18. But then she not only went on to finish, but she got the, you know, medal that was as big as her head. And so I, I, um, I'm not quite exactly sure because then um, uh, uh, Fritz, Right, she too um, tall, Fritz Amanda. Yeah, yeah. So she finished as well, and sounded like she had a, a good race. And then, oh my gosh, that one woman. Yeah, and um, yeah, Amanda, the mother runner that we met, who's a mother of is it five or four, who had she ran her first marathon in December. She qualified for Boston in that marathon, having followed the train like a mother own it plan, and then. So you she uh, just a little, <laughs> just, uh-huh. a little just a yeah, little. Uh-huh. She ran a three thirty seven. She had to run sub three forty, and then she emailed or she wrote on our Facebook page. She bettered that time at Little Rock, so I think she ran like a three thirty four or three thirty three. And so, Good I'm, job. I'm so I'm not not really sure, but um, but so yes, yeah, so that was particularly sad because nice. some of the people from. St. Jude's had, they got canceled the night before that marathon because of ice. Then they had transferred to running Little Rock and then that race gets canceled during it. (laughs) I know. Well, I guess my, my guess is that like, maybe they were able, maybe the organizers said, you know, you can go on under your own volition, but we are not responsible Mm -hmm. anymore or something like that. I, 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 cause I, I tried to Google it after it happened just to kind of see what was happening. And, um, there wasn't a whole lot of press about it, which maybe that meant that it was just kind of a, more of a less, like a little bit of a non-event, mm-hmm. not meaning it's a non-event to people who are in the middle of running their first marathon for mm-hmm. sure. But, you know, like it wasn't as dramatic as say Chicago where, and it's not such a major media market. So, right. um, right. yeah, but I mean, oh, let's talk about those medals for a second, shall we? <laughs> okay. So our booth, our AMR booth was, um, across the way, the hallway from, um, or the aisle, I guess, from the metal stand. Okay. And so they are not selling anything. <laughs> they are just, they just have gazillion medals on their table, including the one, the Epic, which was their little rock theme for this year, this Epic medal. And it, I mean, you know, it was probably the size of a dinner plate in the 1950s. It's the size of a, 
a, a salad, salad plate, plate now, yeah. you know, in our, <laughs> in our, you know, bigger portion size world, but, um, two and a half pounds and people just stopped. I mean, so, you know, the expo was understandably slow on Friday because that's, you know, most people are working and, you know, they don't come to pick up their metal or their um, number until Saturday. Mm-hmm. So Friday, I'm sitting in the booth. You went headed over to the Clinton Library, which um, we'll talk about in a second. Yeah, yeah I was about to say you have to, you know, not not a you know room by room blow, but uh, <laughs> um, anyway. So um, so I was just like you know like trying to lure you know in, in my very telepathic way like lure mother runners into our booth and so I can kind of explain what we do. And meanwhile, just people are just captivated by this thing, you know, <laughs> picking it up, putting it on, you know. Which I mean, they're excited for the race. Like I get that, but I was just like. <laughs> Okay, now now I buy your metal. Now come see me. You know? I know. I, I, when I saw that we were across from that, I think they were called the, I think they're called Hasty Metals. Maybe I'm not sure because I remember thinking it reminded me of the Hasty Puddings Club at Harvard for some reason. But, uh-huh. but that um, I thought, oh sweet, you know, it's not a, not somebody else selling something, so we'll do extra well because they'll be like, oh, nothing to buy at that booth. What's it? This one over here. Oh no, <laughs> no. No, if you don't have epic metals, you don't got nothing. <laughs> and when you say salad plate, you are not. Not exaggerating. It was the size of a literal salad plate. <laughs> yeah, that was two and a half pounds. I mean, that was for the marathon. Mm-hmm. The half marathon was smaller, and that was a you know a quote unquote regular size metal. But I mean, if you would see that not next to the salad plate, you would think it's a pretty big okay. metal. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. 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 So. Oh my goodness. So yeah. So little rock. So. I, you know, really didn't know what to expect. They had, the Capitol Hotel had um, generously brought us into town to to speak at the um, health and fitness expo that they had. And so just, you know, just we're kind of like, okay, you know, we're going to go to Arkansas. And, and I was all excited to, you know, check off another state on our um, travels around the country of where we've taken the AMR road show. And so just was so incredibly pleasantly surprised by what a uh, just fascinating dynamic vibrant city it is and just uh, unfortunately you didn't get out to explore as much as i did but there's this you know i mean yeah i was at that booth um, yes yes. drooling over the people with the no i'm just kidding (laughs) no i totally uh yeah free will but i I mean you but you also crush much harder on places than i do i mean that's just kind of your nature (laughs) i i I mean i like them i definitely liked little rock don't get me wrong i was pleasantly surprised by it it's very quaint and i love that they have this little kind of health and fitness pocket um downtown where they just opened a brand new orbea bike store Mm -hmm. um with like a very cool coffee shop in it and um and the innkeeper of the capitol hotel is trying to really like create a health and fitness movement um and community you know kind of like amr kind of from the inside out mm-hmm. and that was very impressive um so yeah but i mean i grew up in the midwest so it very much reminded me of a lot of the midwest i mean running next to mississippi and um and it, all that it was the, that was the arkansas river Okay, well, specific, um, well they all look the same. <laughs> Muddy specific. River, one bank here, one bank there. All right, where are we? I don't know. It's because I, I asked, because I, I had run along, I went running along the Mississippi on a gloriously sunny morning in Memphis after flying the red eye through Houston. And so then when we got to Arkansas, I thought, oh, this river looks narrower. I bet it's not the Mississippi. My mother right now is probably cringing if she listened to our show because she's like, oh, Sarah, don't you know Arkansas is not on the Mississippi or that part of it's not. So so I had asked Michael from the Capitol Hotel. I said, oh, what river is that? So he said the Arkansas. So I just walking down that main drag, which is called uh, West Markham and also known as uh, President Clinton Avenue, I believe. So went down to the Clinton Library, as you said, and it's just so beautifully situated. It's what I, a lovely modern architecture building. Some people, I guess, have likened it to an enormous um, trailer home um, because of the shape and the way it's kind of um, a little bit hovering over the ground. But I just thought it was lovely. It was um and it overlooks the river and a bridge and just um, I, it was the landscape was all brown because it's wintertime. But I can imagine it looks very exceptionally lovely when it's green and there's some flowers blooming. But I just loved there's lots of funky restaurants and the brick buildings have been refurbished. And there's a Zen garden on one block that, that <laughs> I really I, I really, really wanted to go in it. But I thought I'm not going to ask Dimity because I think she'd be like, Sarah. We are not going into a Zen garden right now. <laughs> <laughs> we are late. We are not Zen right now. No, but the funny thing was, so so there was a woman in front. So they did a 5K on Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. And um, so that morning we did.
did a nice eight miler together. <laughs> yes. um, I have to say you texted me at one point. You're like, yeah, I want to run long on Saturday. And I, and I think you meant to say Sunday, but I was like, oh, you want to run long on Saturday after we just ran a half marathon on Sunday, like last Sunday, that's, that's too much for me. So I was like, how long? And you're like, oh, I meant Sunday and, you know, maybe 45 minutes or so. But then, you know, we both, um, or I hadn't done anything for two days and, and I was definitely energized by a little rock in the Arkansas river and mm-hmm. wanting to move my legs a little bit. Um, and so, uh, so we did an eight miler and we're on our way back and, and we kind of caught the end of the 5k on the way back. Uh-huh. And there's a woman in uh, a tutu, and again, Epic was the theme of the marathon weekend, and so everything was like superheroes and Shazam and blah, you know, like those kind <laughs> right. of words, lots of lightning bolts and and, mm-hmm. and red polka dots, uh-huh. and um, and so she was trying to do the kind of this flying Superman thing, you know, kind of like um, oh, it's like dancer and yoga or something like that, you know, one an arabesque kind of one leg out in uh-huh. your and then your arms forward and she couldn't hold it. Like, you know, she was, she would get up there and, and her she was in front like, of the oh, Zen, she, she was in front of the Zen garden. Like, yeah. Gate. Yeah. That's uh-huh, why yeah. I thought of this thing. Yeah. The Zen garden gates. So and so I, of course, like feeling emboldened after eight miles, I'm like, come on, you can hold that. Yeah. Like, yeah. Come on, fly, fly. And so then, then later on we, we ran and she, like you said, she was wearing a tutu. So then I recognized her when she stopped by our booth and I was like, Oh, Dimity and I saw you trying to hold that pose out in front. She goes, Oh, I know. And I said, Oh, we yelled at you. She's like, Oh, I knew it was you guys. <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome. I'm like, okay, good. I would have stuck my I mean, I would have said it anyway, but I'm kinda of glad that it bounced off a mother rider and not necessarily somebody who would be like, Who is she telling me what to do? Tell her to shut up, you know? Like, right, right. Who does so, she think she is? Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. So we just had and oh, the food was so good. I cannot stop thinking about the quote Irish breakfast I had at the Capitol Hotel, which <laughs> is uh, which Heather, the mother runner who had um, got the ball in motion to bring us there, she said, "Oh, you have to try it. You have to try it." And she said it was grits, and usually, oh, I'm not a fan of grits usually, and so it was cheesy grits with um, little crunchy bits of bacon in it and green onion, and then two lovely fresh farm fresh poached eggs on top. And a half of a um, broiled tomato, you know, kind of oven roasted tomato. And oh my goodness, it was, oh my stars, it was so incredible. Oh my stars, those were so good. <laughs> they were so tasty and just kind of crunchy and the bacon was perfect and the green onions just added the right amount of, you know, kind of zest to it and... I just cannot stop thinking about it. Am I going to ruin your kind of wet, wet dream of a breakfast here if I say that um, grits always remind me of Flo from Alice? Did you ever watch Alice? Kiss back in my the day? grits. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alice was like one of my favorite comedies. That's so funny. I, I love that show up. too. So. Vera, Vera was the other Alice, Vera, and Flo. Yeah, and now, oh, love that. Like one day maybe I can have friends like that if I work in a diner. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to introduce our extra special guest that we are having on the show today. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For our listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out this service. One audiobook to consider is the wildly popular Divergent by Veronica Roth. Yes, the movie opens, I believe it's March 20th, so um, listen to it before you see the movie, perhaps. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com mother. Again, that's audiblepodcast.com mother. And now back to our show. I am thrilled and thrilled to announce our guest today, who is Catherine Switzer. Um, I think I may be more nervous for this interview than I've been for any other interview in my life. Um, She, if you do not know who she is, she ran the Boston Marathon in 1967. She was the first woman with a number to wear, to finish the Boston Marathon. She was also the winner of the 1974 New York City Marathon. She's won an Emmy for television commentary. She was also inducted to the National Women's Hall of Fame in 2000. 2011 for creating a social revolution by empowering women around the world through running. And she's an author of three books, including Marathon Woman and Running and Walking for Women Over 40, just to set up the influence of how much she's given to women's running. 
Here's a quote from her. My biggest running victory was winning the 1974 New York City Marathon. But my biggest life victory was being a major part of getting the women's marathon accepted officially into the Olympic Games in 1984. Welcome to the show, Catherine Switzer. We're just thrilled to have you on. Well, first of all, Sarah and Dimini, how wonderful it is to be on the program. And um, congratulations on doing such a great job for women everywhere. So I'm delighted to be a part of this. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. The whole story about the Boston Marathon is a series of coincidences that somebody couldn't repeat in a million years. I always joke that Cecil B. DeMille making a film couldn't possibly have put this scenario together and made it work, even with film. And here's the story, is that I started signing my name, K. Switzer, and K.V. Switzer, when I was about 12. The reason being, too, one, my dad had misspelled my name on my birth certificate. He left the E out of the Catherine, and it was constantly misspelled. So I was kind of pissed off by the time I was 12. And um, I was also beginning to write for my high school newspaper at a very early age because, um, guess what? Girls weren't getting any coverage. Some things never change. Uh, And we had a field hockey team, and I was so excited about it, and I was playing on this field hockey team. And being a sports writer, Kathy Switzer or Catherine Switzer sounded a little limp you know <laughs> and the final clincher was that i was in love and who wasn't at age 12 with jd salinger and the catcher in the rye mm-hmm. and, and of course then i loved the poetry of t.s Eliot, e.e e. cummings wb yates etc and it seemed to me in my childish way that if you're going to be a great writer you sign your name with your initials. And therefore, I was going to be a great sports journalist, and it was going to be K.V. Switzer. And and I start, and I just did that all through college. And so when the Boston Marathon application laid before me, and my coach was saying, now, listen, you got to fill this out. you got to be official. Um, you can't just go and show up at Boston. You don't just jump into races. This is a serious event. You train for it, and you've got to take it seriously. got to enter. you got to pay your $2 entry fee. <laughs> I couldn't believe that cash i love it <laughs> so so it's kb switzer it was on the entry form and that changed history and i often joke i said my dad changed history when he misspelled my name on my birth certificate <laughs> thanks dad <laughs> exactly. well and so you were very much trained for it right i mean you i read that you did a 30 mile run before the the marathon so you were definitely ready to rock and roll right i was definitely ready to finish it i knew that that was not going to be a problem i had spent that um i'd spent all my high school and early college years you know playing lacrosse and and um uh, hockey and i had run at least three miles a day after practice you know before that so when i got to syracuse university in the fall of 1966 and started training with the men's cross country team the assistant coach there was a really old guy he was 50 um (laughs) so young took me me under his wing well when you're 19 so i know uh, it's hard to imagine now at our age, but um, anyway, he he was the one who regaled me with stories of Boston. But he was the one who also ran with me every day, and I then realized what what mileage was, what these guys were doing. These guys are scholarship guys, and they were out there running, you know, eight and ten miles a night without even thinking about it. So, you know, here my little feeble three miles was nothing. But anyway, it it built up, but it built up rapidly. So, Jimmy, to answer that question was, um, I was ready with the distance because we had done many long runs, and we had done a 31-mile run two weeks before Boston, two or three weeks before Boston. I can't remember which, but it was close. Um because my feet were still bleeding and oozing oh at the start goodness. line. Yeah. Wow. So it was, it, they, it ripped my feet up, and I remember that very, very acutely. But anyway, so I was ready to complete it without any problems. Um, and also another a, a benefit, but not, but I was not ready to go fast. Mm, okay, sure. that's, that's the point of this. Um, later, I finally got myself faster, and that is one of the great miracles of... A human accomplishment, if you see what I mean, it was the discovery that your body can do so much more than you ever imagined. You know, the additional mileage, the speed work, and to get to become a good athlete when I was really just a mediocre, I have mediocre material here, you know? Mm. It was phenomenal. But anyway, um, yeah, so that's uh, the other thing that was important about that first Boston was that I was training in Syracuse, New York, and that was 
the worst winter on in history for Syracuse. Maybe this year. Oh my gosh, that, that's saying that's quite that's saying quite a bit considering Syracuse, was, New York, too. Yeah. Yeah, 196 inches of snow that year, and so holy cow! <laughs> and we were out in it, 40 degrees below zero stuff. It was unbelievable. I don't know how we did it. So what, the conditions at Boston were were utterly miserable, and the second coincidence happened, and that is is that I would had this darling shorts and top on, uh, and, but I couldn't. I just couldn't strip down to that because it was too cold. So like everybody else, I kept on my baggy gray sweatsuit, my ha- my hood, my my gloves, and from a distance you could. Couldn't tell that I was a girl, and the officials were so rattled by the sleet and snow at Boston that and and wind at Boston, they just pushed me into the starting pen along with the guys. Oh. So, so I didn't think you know it was a big issue because yeah, well, and, uh, you know. going back to your cute outfit, I um you were going to iron your you wanted to wear your just iron burgundy shorts and top, right? I love that you ironed your running wear. <laughs> oh, look, you know here here's something else. In, in the 60s, you know, our images of, of great women athletes was not really very positive. I mean, Wilma Rudolph looked really gorgeous, but a lot of other athletes looked, looked really, you know, like guys and, and haggard and didn't care about their clothes. And, and, you know, we had these images of Russian shot putters, which put everybody off because they were distinctly not feminine. And so I said, I'm going to refute that image and I'm going to finish the Boston Marathon. I mean, I was very cocky about that. I, I really wanted to, to look hot and, and, and show that a, a feminine woman, a, a, a woman could do everything, that she could be feminine and also embrace a gritty sport like marathon running. One of my great idols was always Margot Fontaine, the ballerina, because ballet is really, really a very dreadful thing to do to your body <laughs> <laughs> and, and she took something so um difficult the ballet and made it really really beautiful and so that was that was phenomenal right so and it's interesting you as long as you're talking about clothes we do have to go off on the tangent that when Dimity and i uh, each separately read marathon woman what images that stood out for us a lot were that you ran in leotards and tennis dresses and and what else talk to us a little bit about the outfits you'd run in in the early days you know those days were really heavy mileage days i was getting up sometimes to 100 miles a week and um oh chafing gosh. yeah yeah i trained hard mm-hmm. chafing was really because i'm not talented you know i mean i had to, <laughs> I go fast i didn't really have any uh coaching plans so i just kept going longer and harder but anyway chafing was always a major issue not just with women but in men but with men too but with women it was acute because we have um fleshier thighs no getting around it and so here i was in men's shorts and it was it was very very tough between the thighs and i decided uh, again looking at ballerinas i said wow maybe the the tights ballet mm. tights would be great and then of course i began wearing those in the winter under my sweat anyway and then i realized how warm they were and totally chafe free <laughs> then i thought well to add something that looks because you couldn't just wear tights you know um i thought <laughs> well trying to cover it i'll wear a little dress and and the reason why i like dresses is because and when i played field hockey it was the hockey tunic that mm. gave me terrific leg movement mm-hmm. i thought it was a wonderful garment i thought the hockey tunic was fabulous and so the ba- the little ballet wraps and tennis dresses were simply shorter versions of a of a hockey tunic Nice, nice. Well, and so I know you've probably told this story a million times, um, and we hope that you can just get walk through it, walk us through it one more time. Was the takedown? I mean, what did it feel like when when Jack Semple really tried to take you from the course? Yeah, the takedown. That's a great way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't take him down. He didn't take me down, but my boyfriend took him down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is what happened. Basically, you know, you start a marathon. You're kind of happy. You're joking with your friends for a while. Um, all you want to do is finish. The pain will come later. But all of a sudden, at about two miles, we were still laughing and joking. The press truck came by us, and they were taking pictures. And uh, Jock Semple was on a, a press vehicle next to the photographer's truck, and he saw – he's the race director mm-hmm. – he saw that – I was in his race wearing bib numbers, and the guys on the bus were teasing him, saying, oh, Jock, there's a girl in your race. (laughs) And he just, you know, he's an overworked race director. It was a very, very stressful day of terrible weather conditions, trying to get everything organized. And you know what it's like. You're up all night for days on end trying to get this thing together. Um, He had a short fuse anyway um, and lost his temper. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, he was. He was an angry guy. He carried a lot of chips on his shoulders. But I, I have to... I'll defend him a little bit after this episode. Let mm -hmm. me tell you the episode first. Um, he jumped off the, the truck and went after me and came up behind me very, very quickly. And I didn't see him until the last minute. I actually heard him first. And I turned quickly, and all of a sudden, he just grabbed me. And he grabbed me by the shoulders, and he spun me back and screamed, you know, get the hell out of my race and give me those numbers and kept clawing at my numbers to try to pull them, pull them off of me. And I kept trying to jump away, but he had me by the shirt. And my coach was screaming, leave her alone, leave her alone. She's okay. I've trained her. And he said, you stay out of this. And with that, my boyfriend, um, who was a 235-pound ex-All-American football player, came running full tilt, didn't say a word, and just took him out. Boom. Um, it was a beautiful execution. I'd never seen, you know, um, <laughs> Violence up close, and I'd never seen kind of um, that kind of technique because there was a, there was a crowd, and he just took him right out of it, and and then, but we were terrified because he smashed him really hard, oh. and, um, and I mean because I thought he'd really hurt him, mm -hmm. and my coach coach then screamed, "Run like hell!" Because <laughs> <laughs> he was as scared as I was, <laughs> and off, off off we went yeah, down the road, you know. Um, it, so it was, it, but it was happened in front of the press truck. That's that's the amazing thing. This whole huge flatbed truck that usually leads every marathon, and everybody got pictures of this incident. And by the time we finished the race, those pictures were all over every edition of the Boston papers. At which time there were about seven different editions of the Boston mm -hmm. papers, and then then the next day they were all over the world. And um, it it was consequently an event that changed my life and an event that changed millions of women's lives because of Jock Semple, for all his um, combativeness, um, still left the world a, a photo that is one of the most galvanizing photos of the women's rights movement. And who was ever to predict that that would, would have happened and would be the outcome? You know, um, I, I almost every day I get another call or a request for interview concerning that amazing photo of the girl running, being attacked by official and, and being saved by her burly boyfriend. Wow. Uh, yeah, um, but at the time, you, Timothy, to answer your question, it was, of course, I was really scared. I was 20. Um, um, I was upset, I, and I was deeply humiliated because it was a race I had trained for. My coach said I would be welcome, and all the men said, hey, it's great to have you here. The men in running have always been wonderful, and the men in that Boston Marathon were fabulous to me and very, very motivational. And I would say things like, I wish my wife would run or my girlfriend would run run would you tell me give me some tips to get her started she's nervous about it and um you know it's this it's the same with with any woman who's just thinking about doing something and she's frightened because she believes all the old myths and so i was delighted to be there and then all of a sudden when the official attacked me um it changed everything fortunately and i look back on this now at 67 and i say you know i was 20 years old when that happened and i made the decision to finish the race. And um, I turned to my coach and said, I'm going to finish this race with my hands and my knees if I have to. It was sort of this absolute first moment of clarity, of, of, of an awakening, if you will, of realizing, you know, well, this is what, what discrimination is all about. And you'd never had any. You've only had opportunities. Um, and he, the press corps, everybody, you know, uh, except for the runners, desperately wanted me to drop out to prove that I was a clown, that I didn't count, that women were weak and fragile and couldn't do it anyway and were always barging into places where they weren't welcome. And so I said, I've got to finish the race. So how I did that at 20 and had the presence of mind can only be because, you know, I, I had been running since I was 12 and I had a sense of empowerment that, that by the time I was 20 was very, very, very strong. That's and great. I could make a decision like that. So I'm very grateful for that, I must say. Oh, wow. I'm almost, I'm almost speechless after hearing you say all, all that. That's um, really um, wonderful. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, You're welcome, Sarah. Hey, let me tell you anything quickly about yes. Jock Semple and forgiveness. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, long about Heartbreak Hill in that race, I had murdered Jock about every way a person could be murdered. And, 
And then I realized it probably wasn't his fault. He was a man of his time. He believed the myths like everybody else. He just didn't think it was appropriate for a woman. He was protecting his race and from clowns. And he did every year he had clowns that showed up at the start line, whether they were drunken boys from Harvard fraternity parties who were going to try to outlast the leaders so they could be on TV or mm. somebody saying, eat at Joe's Bar and Grill. And he thought I was one of those. So I realized, um, you know, that it probably wasn't his fault. And I actually was very forgiving. He was not forgiving to me for five years, but finally in 1972 then had to welcome us into the Boston Marathon. Um, officially, we'd done our homework, we'd done our legislative work, and um, we became official. And after that, he became like so. Thanks to StoryWorth for supporting our podcast. StoryWorth is a subscription service started by a fellow who wanted families to be able to share their memories and anecdotes with each other. Here's how it works. Purchase a StoryWorth subscription for someone you love, and each week, StoryWorth sends that loved one an email with a question about his or her life. The person either replies with his or her story via email or records it by phone by calling a StoryWorth number. After a year, the stories are bound in a lovely hardcover keepsake book. My husband Jack and I gifted StoryWorth to his dad, and we're especially looking forward to hearing his tales about going to medical school in Dublin, Ireland, which is where Jack was born and spent the first four years of his life. Then we'll share the book with Jack's siblings. For $20 off, visit storyworth.com slash AMR when you subscribe. That's storyworth.com slash AMR. Many people, an evangelist for women's running, and he and I became, <laughs> he and I became best of friends. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, that's good. I like a happy ending. Yeah. Well, yeah, and just, I mean, just to remind people, in 1967, the longest event in the Olympic Games for women was 800 meters on the track, and cross-country races for women were just a mile and a half. So, I mean, you are, you know, going so much farther than that. And so that's, the world was not ready to see that necessarily. Yes. And even women who ran were not necessarily ready to see it. I mean, I look back um, later, of course, then in the seventies, let's say when we were still campaigning to be official, you know, Greta Weitz was running and winning world cross country um, and, and running, uh, you know, the longer distances, the longest distances that the track would allow, like finally in the world championships, they, they had a, at 3,000 meters, not yet in the Olympics, uh, and Greta ran that, set a world record. But it, her vision couldn't take her to the marathon because it wasn't an official event in anything. So, you know, her first her first marathon in New York in 1978 was um, in by that time we had been running a lot and we're campaigning to get the marathon in the Olympics. She just came really for a lark. And it wasn't <laughs> until she realized her enormous potential was in the very, very long distances. And that's that, guys, is going to be kind of the future of our sport is when we realize that women have the uh, endurance capacity um, and that's that, that, which is true in stamina. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to change the face of um, even the Olympics in a wow. very short term. So then what do you foresee? I mean, what, what, what are some predictions you have? It sounds like you've given some thought to that. Oh, a lot. You know, when you run, Sarah and Jiminy, you know, you find cranks over a lot of things. Listen, I'm seeing women winning, like Anne Trace in the 100-mile men's um, national championships. I'm seeing women lead a six-day race home with a team, mixed team of men and women. You know, the, the men, are, uh, men are always going to be bigger, faster, stronger, more powerful. But women are always going to be more flexible, have more balance, more endurance, and more stamina. And we're only realizing these last two things recently and um so like if it's going to be endurance swimming or it's going to be endurance running women are going to excel we just don't have the events now that yet very many of them that that um answer those needs so let's imagine in the olympics well i think the, the commonwealth games actually has introduced a 24-hour run oh, um oh. yeah it's going to be very very interesting and um the uh, like a six-day race or grand traverse races like we, we have, uh, at least here in New Zealand, the Western states and those kind of races in the U.S., even longer than that. That's where, where women are going to excel. And imagine an Olympic Games, for instance, where we can combine, because I don't, I, you know, I love men and, and I love how we can work together because um, men have always been very, very helpful to me. Um, how about maybe in, in the Olympics, some kind of relay where we combine men's unique capabilities with women's? Um, so so I, I always mention that in my speeches and, and I'm happy to mention it now because I'd like a younger generation and even you guys, because you're, you're a lot younger than I am, to maybe think about that and and create the events that make it happen. Whoever 
whoever would have imagined a triathlon? I mean, see, I remember when the triathlon was created, and it was kind of a joke event by three guys, you know, mm -hmm. who were all really good at what they did, and let's make let's put them together. Mm -hmm. And that was an Olympic sport. Mm -hmm. So sure. we shouldn't limit ourselves. We shouldn't limit ourselves to what exists. We should really try to imagine what's out there. So get, getting back to the women's marathon, when I was and others were campaigning mightily for it, one of the hardest things was convincing women themselves who had that capability but didn't know it, you know, who were really great at 1,500, 3,000 meters, but they just didn't know that they were good at a marathon because it didn't exist officially. So that's why the Olympic marathon became really my my kind of life cause. Mm -hmm. I'll always be remembered for crashing the Boston Marathon, but really it was to me getting the women's marathon into the Olympic Games that would change world thinking about women's capability. Mm -hmm. Well, and so, yeah, so talk about that. Well, first, I have a, a really quick question for you. I'm just curious because that moment you had that moment of clarity in the Boston Marathon, they're like, okay, you know, this is what I was called to do. But what were you going to do with your life before that, before those two miles? I mean, were you planning to be a runner or, I mean, what was, what, what were you thinking about doing with your career? I was always going to run because there was no sports for women. You know, I mean, I played field hockey and lacrosse, but when I got to Syracuse, there were no intercollegiate sports for women. It was like women wow. it, you know, had to grow up and put that behind them. Yeah. And, and so I wasn't going to have a team anymore, you know. Um, so I decided I would really focus on running because it was something I could do by myself. And because I didn't have a team, but I loved sports, I was going to be a sports writer. And that's why I went to Syracuse, because they have the journalism school there. Mm -hmm. And there's a degree that has served me so well, I cannot tell you. Um, I stayed on and got my master's degree as well. And of course, what happened is, is um, uh, that's what I was going to do. You know, just to answer your question briefly, I was going to be a sports writer and I was going to run. Mm -hmm. um, but I had no idea that I would I would wind up being in sports marketing and, and sort of create that profession for myself. Because in the course of, um, you know, my vow when I finished that first Boston Marathon was, one, become a better athlete, um, because I finished that race in four hours and 20 minutes and took unmitigated hell for it. You know, uh, anybody can do that. You know, it's a, it's a jogging pace. Jock Semple the next day said, oh, I could have walked it that fast. Oh, I mean, geez. Uh, honestly, yeah. I mean, you know, now it's a perfectly respectable marathon right. time. Yes. Well, especially um, because your feet. I mean, I read about your feet. Let's just, I mean, just because we kind of like a little too much information. I mean, they were just hamburger by the end, right? Yeah. And it was such a sad thing. I mean, um, first of all, I had trained for this Boston Marathon in black canvas um, uh, keds. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and how I did that without breaking down, it was really quite amazing. But several weeks before the Boston Marathon, I, um, I was convinced by my boyfriend and uh, that I had to get proper running shoes. And, of course, you couldn't just go buy them in those days. You had to order them. So I had to go to the sports store and order them from Germany. They were oh Adidas, and they were blue kangaroo skin. And I swear, these shoes cost me $26. Now... Honestly, that's like paying $300 right now, you know, yeah, um, sure. for a student. And when they came, we thought in those days that you should have your, your shoes quite snug. But by the time they by the time they arrived, because it took weeks for them to arrive, by the time they arrived, it was only like two weeks before Boston, and my feet were just shredded from that 31-mile run. Mm -hmm. So I put on these shoes. And of course, my feet were all then swollen. And now they're really, even for me, they were too tight. So I had to take a razor blade and cut oh. uh, a little V notch where my t my t black, swollen, bloody toe in the front was. And I it just, I kind of wept. I'm cutting, oh, my God. Oh, for $26 shoes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. But yeah, you know, blisters were always an issue, and I'll, I'll, I'll gosh, I'll never forget. It was only about uh, three or four years ago. I, you know, I my shoes kind of went flat before a half marathon. They were gone. They're the only shoes I had up in my suitcase, and they just went. And I said, my gosh, these shoes are completely sh shot. And I went and got a new pair of running shoes. I won't give you the brand, but um, they're a popular brand, and. I said, I've never worn new shoes right before the start of a race since that Boston Marathon. And um, this is going to be death, but I, I don't have much choice. 
And of course, I finished the race with brand new shoes without a blister, without even a scratch. Of course, of and, I'm course. Thinking, and I'm thinking the technology is just so fabulous now. It's like, oh, look how far things have come in almost 50 years. That's wonderful. <laughs> when you don't use kangaroo skin as a upper for your shoe. Yeah, we used to line them with Vaseline. We used to cover our feet with Vaseline, line the inside of the shoe with Vaseline. Um, and, and, um, and well, I would tape my feet eventually first and then cover them with Vaseline. Oh but you can imagine how those shoes stink. Oh my God! After. But you know, um, mm-hmm. you, your feet. All, everybody had this problem. The feet feet were so blistered, badly blistered after a marathon that you had no choice but to take a couple of weeks of very uh, very. Oh. And it, in a way, it was like a built-in recovery. Mm, yeah. you, know, it was, you had you just couldn't do anything so you really had a good recovery time after the after the race mm-hmm. that makes sense so so i just read um on an interview online interview with you um that your motto in life is be fearless be free be grateful which i just love that and how do you how do those words influence the choices you've made in the paths you've taken you know um i I'm coming out with this. I know we're going to talk about this in a minute. A sportswear line uh, with Skirt Sports called 261 Fearless, and it's named after that Boston bib number mm-hmm. um, because um, people feel fearless, and I feel fearless. And, and they think of 261, they think of that Boston incident, and they feel fearless when they think about it. The reality is, is if you run, you feel fearless. You know that. We we all feel empowered and accomplished in some way, but it's even bigger than that. We, we feel we can take on a lot of things that are otherwise scary in our lives. You know, if, if it's rather trying to reach a goal or it's trying to cope with a bad situation. And um, and so the, the fearlessness really um, is important. In a, and even when you stand up at, at the, in front of a huge crowd for a speech or at a board meeting or, or the starting line of a big race, you know, you have that, that very nervousness. And I just deep breathe and say, you're going to be fearless. You are fearless. You, you know, you can run a marathon. You can do anything. So that, that always makes me feel empowered and fearless. Um, and, and, but be free is the fact that, um, when you're fearless, you are freed, <laughs> you know, and, and that I'm trying now, we're just launching this movement, the 261 fearless movement of women like us who are, are fearless from our running, reaching out to women who live in fearful situations or are fearful in their own mind. So for instance, it's that woman who wants to put on the shoes and go out the door for the first time. That is the most um, scary thing maybe she'll ever do in her life because she's putting herself out there on the line and 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 trying to face her own demons um, and that's that's one of the hardest things so that's why we're trying to reach out to them and women who are in fearful situations either domestically or are in traditional households or in um, difficult cultures we're hoping that maybe somehow our fearlessness can reach them virtually you know like you can run in your heart um that it's a bit vague but we're working on the on techniques to to reach out to them and correspond with them sometimes i think all you need to know is that um you're not alone out there sure <laughs> absolutely and I tell you, on a dark, cold night, late after work, and you're in a lonely place, but you've got to get that workout in. And maybe this doesn't happen so much because people have treadmills. But um, for me, you know, it was always empowering to know that someplace, somebody else was also was also training. In early years, that wasn't the case. It was just me. And then it's sort of like the Tegla LaRupa quote. She said, when your own situation doesn't give you inspiration <clears throat> you become your own inspiration mm-hmm. and um i felt that very strongly and the third part of that mantra is gratitude and i think if all of us look around we realize that um sometimes when we feel hard done by or the workout's too hard or or something like that we 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 take time and say hey listen this is the best thing i do and i am so grateful for doing it i often say that um that next door to me in the united states um there's a wonderful young man who who lives with his parents who uh is a very gifted artist but he is a quadriplegic mm-hmm. and Every day I run, I think he would give anything to be mm-hmm. doing what I'm doing. And so if it's a little bit cold or a little bit rainy and I'm a little bit short on time, you know, come on. Um, mm-hmm. 
the, the, the things that running and the people that I have associated with have given me, it, it makes me feel so grateful. And so I'm, you know, I have ambivalent feelings about religions, but I don't have any ambivalent feelings about being gratified. Uh, I don't have any ambivalent feelings about a sense of gratitude. I think gratitude is incredibly important in our lives. So yeah, so you, so you have you partnered with Skirt Sports to introduce the 261 Fearless Collection. Um, can you talk a little bit about it? Like why why skirts and why what kind of um, influence you had on the styling? Yeah, I'll kind of tell you. This is uh, so exciting the partnership with Skirt Sports, and the reason uh, I partnered with them is because Nicole De Boom and her team. She's the CEO and founder of Skirt Sports. Get it? They understand totally about women's empowerment, fearlessness, and the the concept of how 261 um, is resonating around the world. That bib number from the Boston Marathon is resonating around the world to be a sign of fearlessness among women everywhere. And so what happened is um, last April, uh, I was at the Malaysian Women's Marathon, and I was talking about the concept of fearlessness to many of these women, many of whom were Muslim women, but they were running even though they had to be covered uh, pretty much from head to toe um, and loved running and and its, its sense of um, strength it gave them. Uh, and we found that one of Nicole's distributors from Australia who had come to the race with a suitcase full of uh, women's running gear, skirt sports running gear, of skirts, long capris, long tights, long sleeves, was snaffled up and bought by these women very, very quickly because it answered their religious and um, modesty needs in terms of running. Even, even though it was a very, very hot place, they still needed to be covered. And it was it was really eye-opening, and we be I began to realize that, that sometimes fearlessness and accessibility to fitness isn't isn't going to be just co coaching somebody to get out the door. It's also giving them the clothing and the means to make it help, help make it happen. Mm -hmm. And uh, Narelle understood this. She called Nicole. Nicole said, this is incredible. She called me. And immediately we, we had a conversation like the, the three of us are having right now. We really understood and got it. And she said, I want to make a line of clothing that's 261 Fearless and get it out there to women everywhere to inspire them. Because, you know, if if we can do anything to inspire and empower ourselves to keep fit and get out there and go, go, um, that's it, that's worthwhile. Mm -hmm. So as of right now, March uh, 2014, the clothing that we have branded with 261 Fearless is some existing garments that we have uh, rejiggered with the, the logos on it. And we're going to show those at the Boston Marathon and, and get the image out there. But the, the newly designed clothing is for launch fall, autumn of 2014. And that's the designs that I have helped be a part of in terms of uh, a feminine look, but a utilitarian look. Um, with a slightly sort of Grecian influence. So hopefully we will have something that is both feminine and utilitarian and everybody will love it. But the most important thing I think is is um, the concept of 261 Fearless and us working together to empower women. That is the thing that excites all of us the greatest. Oh, yeah. oh, we Fantastic. totally agree. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then this whole this fearless concept. I mean, I think you you're right. It could be just somebody lacing up their shoes, and it could be somebody trying to qualify for Boston. I mean, it's through your own perspective. And I think you know one of the things that I walked away from after I finished marathon one was like how much you proved and how much you kind of had to keep proved to yourself almost. And I mean, there was one passage that I quoted on our website, and um, I. Still, I can. You, you painted the scene so well, and um, it was you running in Central Park on a Sunday morning. It was a snowy Sunday morning, and you have all these people looking out their windows from their expensive apartments. You know, they're reading the New York Times and having a little brunch, and you are, you know, and you're a, a little envious of them. And you said the fact is, is that I wanted for once just to curl up on a Sunday with coffee in the Times. That's when I knew I was tired. So I stopped for a moment and shouted up to the buildings. There will be a time in my life when I don't have to prove myself anymore. Um, and I feel like I kind of prove myself every time when I run, but 
do you still feel like you have to prove yourself or do you feel like you've done so much that now you get to ride this beautiful wave of women running? Oh, you know, I tell you, it is exactly like running, Dimity. You know, you get to a point um, that you say, oh, wow, you know, I just broke three hours or I just broke 3.30, I just broke four hours. And you think, wow, now I've accomplished everything I want to accomplish. And you look around and you see this huge <laughs> amount of stuff that needs to be done ahead of you. Um, and I suppose- Still more you know, finishing lines, right? Yes. I tell you, there is no finish line. Um, last year, um, two years ago, actually, you know, I thought I'd kind of reached that point where, uh, right, you know, there's a revolution that needs to happen in parts of the world with women, but it's going to be for the next generation. And I was always encouraging them. And then the 261 thing came through. And I said, I went to somebody, who, I went to a professional person on one of those, um, you know, who, who, who do your life kind of plan, you know, your mm -hmm. life modeling. And I said, I am too old to put up another tent. You know, like I've done I've done 400 races in 27 countries, and now this this 261 is coming through. These women are crying out for um, inspiration and empowerment, and I, and and this the world communication gets uh, vaster. We realize um, that most of the women in the world, guys, most of the women in the world, do not have an education and are living in a bad situation. Um, most women, and I'm thinking, oh, you, you know. You can't, you can't stop. And so, yeah, um, this year has proved to be um, one of the most hectic, and I would say probably gratifying, but extremely hectic and exhausting years of my life because there's a, the 261 Women's Marathon was founded, mm -hmm. um, and it's going to take place at the end of this month in Mallorca and Spain. Mm -hmm. um, the 261 clothing line with skirt sports, the whole concept of 261. Everybody wants a 261 club. They want their race to be a 261 affiliation just because they want to you know, impart that sense of fearlessness. Um, and a lot of demands on speaking and, and updating books. And, and I'm thinking, holy Toledo, you know, if, if I hadn't been marathon trained and kept myself in shape, I'm not sure I could handle this, this, this physic physically, this workload, but, sure. but yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I think, you know, guys, women need us <laughs> and if we have something to give um i think we need to get it out there to them and um and that's our responsibility you know it was it was all right there back there on the road in 1967 on the boston marathon course you know it's when i said to my coach i got to finish this race with my hands and my knees if i have to it was also about taking responsibility you know my dad always said if you start something you've got to finish it and i thought i can't quit and I've got to finish. And so it seems that that keeps going on the rest of our lives. And I think that is part of what um, being a, a good human being is about, is to take responsibility. Exactly. Um, if I could ask a question, I, I sound a little crass asking just kind of a details question. I'm curious, how did you choose to hold the 261 Women's Marathon 10K? How, how did you land on Mallorca to do that? Wow. You, you know, again, here I am, this 261 is coming in all over the place. People are sending me pictures of themselves with the, on their backs, regardless of what their number is on their fronts. And when people started sending me pictures of themselves being tattooed with 261, mm, wow. I started taking it very seriously. <laughs> anyway, then, it's permanent. Then, then came a call from an old colleague who used to be with Nike, who now... 12 years later, is a partner in a very big sports marketing company in Madrid. And he got a hold of me through the Internet, and, and we Skyped. And he said, um, you know, women in Southern Europe are really underserved with a marathon. In fact, in fact there is no women's only marathon in Europe. And we think that they should have that. I said, I think you're absolutely right, Jose Luis. I think you're great. And and the working title of this race was the Mediterranean Women's Marathon. Um, but he was calling to say they wanted to name it the 261 Women's Marathon. And I said, I said, I'll have to call you back. I just need to sit down for a minute, you know, because I thought, <laughs> I thought, oh my gosh, you know, this is this is so powerful. So anyway, the they chose Mallorca themselves these guys because it is in fact a great training place um people in europe right now are, are getting out of the slog and the cold just uh, to, to go triathlete train their cycle train their run there because it's a very very mild temperate beautiful climate um and 
also because the cities of Barcelona and Madrid, um, like like in the United States, they already are booked with major races every weekend. Mm -hmm. So Mallorca proved um, a, a great place. And also, it's very cheap to get to for Europeans. Oh. You know, it's, yeah, it's cheaper to fly from Berlin or Munich or Frankfurt or Stockholm to um, Mallorca than it is to fly from Berlin to Munich, let's say. Oh, so they're, they're cheap flights, and it's a beautiful location. That's oh, why the, they chose the, it. The photos, I mean, just are breathtaking to, to look at some of the beaches that they get to overlook and the, the blue water. And I think it's going to be an incredibly beautiful course. I think so too. Having said that, uh, for you guys in Portland, Mallorca is a big uh, is a big leap. Yeah. Um, and yeah. for, for a gal for a gal who's saving her money in Nebraska to run a big race um, to go all the way to Mallorca is um, is going to is a big leap too. I mean, it probably doesn't cost any more than if she went to Paris or London. The still thing is, is it's um, it, it's still a long way. But hey. You know, we'll figure that out. Right. Are you and gonna, I think you would have one in the U.S. at some point? Yes. I, you know, Jiminy, that's a great question because um, we've been uh, talking to people and and every, uh, especially international media, and a lot of them are very interested in us to bring a 261 race to their country. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure we would do a marathon in the United States, but maybe. Mm -hmm. I mean, okay. there are... Let's see. In the United States, we have the leading ladies marathon, Elaine Dahl Dunn's race in um, South Dakota, which is mm -hmm. a fabulous little race. And she's a pistol of a wonderful woman. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, then the big Nike women's race in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. But I don't think there is another women's mm -hmm. only marathon. And 26 point, and in the United States. 26.2 for Donna. Or? Oh, you're right. Sorry, mm -hmm. sorry, sorry. Mm -hmm. 26.2 for Donna. We were just in Orlando for um, Disney Princess and the Donna race was going on the same weekend. That's uh, for the on the same weekend. Well, the Princess is a half marathon, yes. But, it, but yeah. it is two huge women's races, yes, the same weekend in Florida, same state. So That just shows you the demand for women's running. I mean, the, you know, you guys have got to feel like I, I've got to, I'm feeling is that the trajectory of this sport is unbelievable, that mm -hmm. there are 55% of all the runners in the United States are women now. Mm -hmm. And I mean, talk about a multi-billion dollar industry. It is fantastic. I make a joke that when it comes to genetic superiority, women can always outshop men. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the point is, is um, women will buy things that empower them. And um, because this is something that has profoundly changed their lives and, and it's changing every aspect of their life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, the shop, and the shopping might translate into race entries instead of actual things because, yes. you know, they're, they're, uh, a race is a quote-unquote thing that, you know, lasts so much more than a, than a purse and gives you so much more fulfillment than a pair of, you know, Manolo Blahnik shoes or something like that. So Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Catherine, um, we will let you go, but we want to end um, by Sarah and I just giving our utmost gratitude for you and for creating this huge wake behind you of women runners and mother runners. Um, there was a quote that you had on the PBS special about you that you said, every time I see a woman out running, I think she's one of mine, and I've got a couple million women who are my children. And we are so honored to be your children, and uh, and just thank you so much for all the great work you've done, and, and can't wait to see what's going on, you know, because onward, right? No Absolutely. slowing down. <laughs> well, Jimity and Sarah, again, thank you very, very much for having me. You're doing such a great job for everyone and a wonderful service for women everywhere. And hey, we're going to go forward, 261 Fearless, together. We are. We are. Thank you so much, Catherine. Thank you, dears. would happen if you say what you want to say? We are so blown away that we didn't even get to our last question, Sarah, which was our most practical, but, um, but you know, we, we got a lot of advice and tips around here anyway, but we wanted to ask her about her new book, um, Running and Walking for Women Over 40. It's actually not a new book, but it's brand new ebook, right? And she mm -hmm. just revised it. So it's all like the best, most modern tips. Like she's not going to talk about wearing her leotard in there, right? <laughs> I don't think so, no. Yeah. <laughs> Unless it's for comic amusement. Right, right. Yeah. And I'm thinking that we will do a giveaway uh, on our website, maybe closer to the uh, Boston Marathon with some of her books, including that ebook, Running and Walking for Women Over 40. So we'll look forward to doing that. 
Absolutely. So that was that. I'm I'm still just pretty speechless over that. That was. Just... I know my my pits. Can I talk about how wet my pits are right now? <laughs> so that's so funny. You pitted out, and I have when I get nervous, then my Raynaud's uh, uh, kicks, kicks in. in, clicks yeah. in, yeah, kicks in, and and so I was trying to keep my hands warm because I'm like, oh, I can feel the blood just flowing out of my hands. <laughs> so <laughs> too bad you weren't here. You could just tuck them in my pits, and then we would have been a good combination, right? I had them in my own pits, but my pits weren't warm enough. I did need your sweaty oh. pits, Timothy. Oh gosh, gosh. Well, I I just am so excited. I mean, like I said before, I mean, you know, I've stood in a lot of locker rooms and interviewed a lot of pro athletes, but this is one that has such significance and meaning and, and such a special place in my heart that I'm just, just, I just feel like I was blessed today to be able to yeah. talk to her. So, and just such a lovely, gracious and, you know, strong woman. So a brave, yes. fearless yes. woman. So, yeah. Huh. So, um, not to sound crass, but um, if you want to find us on social media, um, <laughs> on Facebook, we didn't raise, you know, the, right. the Boston Marathon in 1967, but we're not chopped liver either. So, you know. right, right. So, so on Facebook, we are Run Like a Mother. The book, our website is anothermotherrunner.com. On Twitter and Instagram, we are at the Mother Runner. Our books, Run Like a Mother and Train Like a Mother, are available on Amazon as well as on our own site. And uh, wherever your feet take you, many happy miles. And be fearless. Fearless.